And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, we ponder if the stretch big is dead and we feel the need for speed. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. That means it's Nerder She Wrote. I'm Dave. We got Seth and Mo here. We got a big show, so we want to jump right in. Um, fellas, it seems like this season um, is starting to get its legs under it in the last week since, since we recorded. Um, I still have no idea what is happening, but we just had a week with no positive COVID tests. I think that's that's a really a big deal. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's listen. It's worth it's worth bringing that up because uh, you know maybe we will start to get to a, a sense of normalcy, oh, as normal as anything can be, but a, a sense of normalcy in the season now that that it seems as if they they've they're getting things under control. It, it seems like the enhanced protocols are working. Hopefully, they're working. I mean. They at least had zero positive tests, so that's that's a that's a good sign. Yeah, the the one thing Seth about the the all star stuff because I'm with you on like we don't really need to be doing this, but at the same time too, I'm like at least they're going to be in a controlled environment, whereas the other two thirds of the league is going to be on vacation somewhere. Like I don't trust these dudes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plain and simple. So we like I don't I don't think we want to spend a ton of time on this, but it's it's sort of the individual risk versus the systemic risk and. Like the systemic risk of, and I think Hollinger wrote about this today, is uh, you go to All-Star Game, someone tests positive, all of a sudden the 30 best players in the league are on the shelf for 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 two weeks. Right. That's, like that's, that's what scares me. You know, that's what I brought that up on point of contention yeah. last week. That's the thing that scares me more than anything is like, okay, you know, I mean, it's going to come back to bite the league in the ass is, is, is really my stance. Look, exhibition games are a luxury even during normal circumstances, this is not normal. Um, so, but I know, bet you guys like are happy idea. with the Elam ending coming back. 
Sure. Yeah, it's great. But I'd rather see that in real games, not exhibition. Okay. So, Seth, you asked Mo and I what I felt like was an odd question the other day. Now, you expanded on it, and so I understand exactly what you mean. But I want to go through the process that that landed us here. You asked us if the stretch big is dead. And when when you look around the league and you see that, you know, I don't know, half the league is got at least one stretch big most a lot of a lot of them have more than one i'd I'd argue that the stretch big exists but has it been killed is the question seth i think that's a great way of putting it um it was the kind of thing that in sort of the uh strategic rock paper scissors that that we, we we tend to have in not just basketball and a lot of sports um when you were zigging and and you had the stretch big and no one else did it was great. Now that everyone is playing with a stretch big, um, it's not special and teams have kind of figured out how to counter it. Um, just, uh, you know, a quick stat on that front. Um, the way NBA designates positions isn't perfect, but as as recently as two years ago, around 14.5% of minutes went to guys the NBA was calling centers. Uh, this year, it's down to 12.9%. And... That's both maybe the employing the employing of more stretch bigs, but it also means there's less situations where a stretch big can get an an advantage by you know oh well, they've got this lumbering you know they, they've got Ennis Cantor or Jonas Valanciunas or someone like that that we're gonna we're gonna drag out in the perimeter and, and make look silly. Well, that's that guy's just not on the floor as much anymore, and so that's a subtle change and makes me think that it's just strategically have we moved past that. Well, it's evolving and, 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 you know, it's always been about skill. So I, I'd argue that the guys who can guard on the perimeter are, are the guys who are going to survive this, this next iteration of stretch big. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I know what you're talking about, Seth, cause everybody's just saying, you know, we're going to put uh, our small forward on, on the big guy, right? Like you're seeing it in Dallas. I know Dave's watched a ton of Dallas doing the 77 minutes in heaven show. So, you know, they're, they're always putting the smaller guy on him. And it, it comes down to this to me. If your stretch big can do just can post up a little bit. And, and that's, you know, it's funny because the Mavs are posting up Porzingis a little bit more this year because they're putting a smaller guy. Hey, 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 let me finish. They're putting a smaller guy on him. <laughs> and it's not even like a true post up, but mm-hmm. it's just a smaller guy where he just turns around and goes, I'm seven, three contest this. You know, and 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 having success out of that, and I think it it, it comes down to mm-hmm. that, and it's something like when you look at Milwaukee, they don't post up Brooke Lopez that much, even when he has a a smaller guy on him, and I think that that's the counter. If you if you have a stretch big that can now there are some stretch bigs that good lord you do not want them to have the ball in the post, but like that's the counter to me, and 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 that's how the 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 stretch big and it's really the stretch five at this point survives in the in, in the league, and that's how that kind of moves beats that that we're going to put a small forward on you. Well, look at the guys we consider the best bigs in the league. Right. What, what are they able to do? Joel Embiid, he, he can stretch the floor, but he can post up. He can he can dominate mismatches. Uh, he's gotten so much better at handling the double like that is, you know, the best version of a, of a big in the league right now it is it's that Joel Embiid it, true big. I mean, I think Giannis is is likely a big, but 
you know, we'll just say Embiid since he's a, a true center, I, I'll, I'll say. The ability to score multiple levels, to dominate a mismatch, and to, to be able to handle a double team. And between Embiid and Jokic, I think you see how valuable having a guy who's seven feet who can do that can be to a team. But then you've got a lot of guys that are, you know, they're bits and pieces of that. Maybe they can post up a little bit. Maybe they can just shoot and can't post up. And this is the thing with Porzingis. I'm just not, I'm not sure that there are enough guys in the league who can just score in all of the different ways you need to be able to score as a big to make it so that putting a wing on them defensively isn't the, isn't the move. Well, let me let me posit another way where you maybe don't have to have like the soccer player footwork of like an Embiid or a Jokic, um, and and uh, it's our old friend Rudy Gobert. Okay, you don't want to throw him the ball in the post, but you put a six four guy on him. What's he going to do? Get every offensive rebound, right? So and and uh, so that's another way to counter it. And and again, we you brought up the the example of Brook Lopez. Um, Milwaukee's spending more time just sticking him in the corner, and you know that's that's not a great spot to offensive. It's a part of why I don't really love bigs shooting corner threes is they get stuck in the corner waiting for the ball, and they're they're neither really in great position to set your defense or go for an offensive rebound. So you know if he if he's going to be a floor spacer to the corner, yeah, they play Charlotte this week, and and PJ Washington is guarding him, and it's no. There's no stress on that matchup at all, even though PJ PJ Washington's good and plays up well, but Brooke Lopez has got to have 60 pounds and, and five inches on him, and and the skill to 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 make use of that. So, kind of strategically figuring out how to not to to take a mismatch from that and not give a mismatch. Um, it it seems like that's the that's the crux of what we're seeing. Yeah, and it, the the thing I find it interesting about it is it's almost lazy coaching, you know, in the sense of like, okay, we got to stretch big, go stretch the floor, and that's it, you know, it, go park yeah, in exactly, the corner and just don't worry about any, you know, that's that's going to spread the floor, and then we're going to have all of this space, and it's it's to the degree of you know we're not utilizing, you know, the advantages that we're going to see in this game. Like, look, you know, the 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 Jazz tried to get cute in their game against Denver. You know, and, and and tried to put go. You know, tried to put Bogdanovich on 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 Jokic, and he punished them early and often in that game, and it, it backfired. You know, so there's, there's an element to it where, and Jokic is a special breed, so it's hard to hard right. to kind of uh, uh, really flag that. But the the idea though is you got to punish the mismatch, and you got to see what it's there, and if you your guy has to be able to do that, so it's not like. You know, you, you know, the you have to adjust. You have to be willing to say on the fly, okay, oh, you're gonna put a six five guy on a seven footer. Cool. Go park it in the block now. Don't park it at the corner. Go park it in the block. Well, to me, exactly. So to me, that's an excuse to involve my big in the game more. Now, typically for for bigs, it's it's one of your more unskilled players, let's say. Um, but when you have a guy who does have skill like Brooke Lopez or Giannis, which they never would guard Giannis with, you know, with a really small wing. He's too dangerous for that. But, you know, you do have Brooke Lopez, who who is a skilled post player, a, a decent enough passer and a threat to shoot the ball. Why not just get him involved in the action? 
spotting up in the corner is not great. Like the wide open corner threes typically come from relocation. A guy, you know, pushing down from the wing to the corner on a hammer or something like that. And so just standing there, you're not really affecting the geometry of the court all that much. Whereas yeah, you no. could get, get them in a pick and roll and, and, and or try to get them a, a good post-up look, do something instead of just standing there. No, I think that's right. Um, I lost my train of thought. Well then I'll, um, I'll, I'll, no, I'll <laughs> so, so I, the, the, no, the, no, the point, the point you made there is like the, the corner three is like the most replaceable offensive skill in NBA basketball right now. Like, the, the number of guys who are on the court who can't be at least competent at that. So if that's like your offensive skill, sort of, so what you're not, you're, you're kind of a passenger and you're not really, you're, you're stressing the defense in so far as it's hard for them to bring help to other things. You yourself are not causing a problem. So, and, and you're, you're, you're wasting what a big man can, can bring if you just, and you're, you're wasting him as a, a, as a stretch big man. Cause you know, the real, the real thing that made the stretch big man so special was the pick and pop, right? It was, that's what it, right. that's where it put defenses in a difficult position. Cause now you got a guard, you know, especially if you have a dynamic guard who can attack off the pick and roll. Now you have to spend time there and then rotate out, you know, to the, the, the popping big, like this was a thing in San Antonio versus Dirk Nowitzki. Like the amount of time we've spent, in playoff series, I was in one playoff series against Dallas when I was in San Antonio and the amount of time we spent on just how do we cover Dirk's pick and pops is the challenge. Like that's the, that's the special thing mm -hmm. of the shooting big more than just he can shoot a three. It's that it, 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 yeah. it, it really will screw up our entire defense when he does pick and pops. And I think that's where I think teams are failing in the sense of like, we're just going to put our big spaced out there like a, you know, you tell me, Dave, I don't know how much pick and pop there's been between Dottich and, and Porzingis. Sometimes it just feels like Porzingis is parked on the wing. You, you, you know, you're not utilizing right. it to the best of your ability where it would open up opportunities for Luca to go. And, and, and I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that teams are missing these days or have forgotten. Yeah, there's an, uh, there's a fair amount, but it's a lot of Porzingis on the wing, right? Like, I mean, he likes the ball there and, and that's a thing, but, Porzingis, it, it, you have to treat him a little bit differently than a than a conventional big, because he's not really a conventional big. He's really a big wing, with the way he plays. Um, but you you brought up the pick and pop and, and kind of teams kind of going away from that. How about the trail three? To me, that's the most useful big man three you know opportunity that you've got. And I, I feel like I just don't see enough teams doing that. You, you see Denver doing quite a bit. Philly does it, but. You know, that that should be a staple. Brooke Lopez should be getting plenty of opportunities for trail threes. That that just requires on how often he's running down. <laughs> when you well, when you when, you're, when you're I mean, in transition it's, again, it's, when you're in transition and it's Giannis, the play is usually over by the time he gets to the uh, that's, that's <laughs> But but I just think that the idea of stretching the floor, it, it just seems like so often that the stretching part of this is left out of the equation. And the trail three legitimately stretches the floor. You you cause the defense now, okay, we've got to start thinking about this closer. We got to get higher because they're they're looking to get this shot. I mean, it's the same thing we watched Steph Curry do in the league. You got to guard him at 35 feet. Oh crap, you got to guard him at 40 feet. 
We got to pick I, him up so, in half court. It's interesting. Like we're, we're way deeper in the X and O's than I thought we were going to get to. But I almost – I prefer like I, – I actually prefer like it, to use a big, like you, to, to rim run with the big. And then because the, the, the best thing about like a trail three is attacking the closeout. Right. And and so like Porzingis can actually that's something that's one thing that for a lot of the guys we're talking about Porzingis can actually do. Mm-hmm. But if it's Brooke Lopez and you pump fake and go, it's like yeah, but it might be a little lumbering. Um, so so maybe you you this this is something that Embiid has done really well a lot this year mm-hmm. is like if he's not the one who gets the rebound, he is straight line to the front of the rim bury his guy there and then cause the defense to collapse and then you get the, the the kick out to a trail and either you get a you know an open shot or you know Tobias Harris attacking from a from a, an advantage situation and getting a closeout. And I think that's that has a decent amount to do why with why Tobias Harris is having a, a nice year so far. Just yeah. in, in like a micro example. Uh Seth you you wrote a great article that's up at the athletic with John Hollinger on NBA front offices and the decision-making process. I recommend everybody go check that out. But it got us talking in our group chat because, you know, that's how we make the show. And you brought up the fact that speed is a a little bit of a – kind of like a a silent threat to not only front offices but coaches. I mean, we know about players and, you know, Mo, we we talked about this before the show. We know about young players in particular – the speed of the game throws him off. You know, James Wiseman can't catch a pass because he's constantly thinking about what's happening next. Uh, but it, it's interesting, Seth, to see that sort of thinking applied to front offices as well. Could you elaborate just a little bit before we talk about it? Sure. And I think it, it goes for both front offices and, and, and coaches too. But a lot of the mistakes you see teams make, uh, especially if, if a team kind of uh, – has a has a bad draft or does something silly in free agency. Um, I've had I've had friends who work for other teams like admit like the day after the draft, yeah, that one got away from us. It's like something sort of unexpected happened. You have to pivot. Suddenly you're making decisions you weren't expecting to make, and like you've got three minutes to decide, and all of your best laid plans for how to figure out is this a good move or not are just gone. So you uh and so that that that's sort of the the just as the speed of the game, not knowing what to expect, can can cause a young player to to screw up. Like uh, if if you're not totally prepared or something catches you off guard, it's especially in those two those two moments where it's it's things happen fast and you have to adjust the draft and free agency. Uh, trade deadline happens at a kind of a a more stately pace, so it it, it you're less likely to well for the front office situation. But I think a lot of the mistakes come from we just didn't have enough time to to make the decision well. Yeah, and and it's funny because yeah. like when you mention it with the draft, it's a situation where you're looking and all of a sudden it's like this dude's dropping. Like why? What the hell? What's going on? He's a really good player. What do we not know? You know why is he not dropping? And you have right. that kind of panic set in and and everybody trying to figure out. Yeah, no, screw it. We're going to draft him or whatnot, or somebody's calling to trade the pick to go get him. You know, and you're you're you're, you're trying to figure all that stuff out. It's it is that that unknown kind of when it throws that wrench in there, and you can kind of tell the teams that aren't prepared because at the end of the day, you can't fully prepared, but you can understand that like this is not necessarily going to go according to plan. Well, so I guess let's talk about that. What happens when your off season plan? 
doesn't work out. Look, when you've been saving up cap space and assets to sign, you know, uh, let, let's say a, a, a guy who might be playing for the Greek national team, and, and then he happens to re-sign with his existing team, now what? Now what do you do? All of a sudden, not only has this summer changed for you, but next summer's changed. So how many plans are you going into the offseason with as far as, you know, from a front office perspective, Seth? I mean, you you kind of hope to go in with several broad scenarios and then hope to apply kind of the lessons, uh, the uh, the kind of the ethic of the broad scenario to whatever whatever happens. The part where I think teams get caught out is I think every team does some scenarioizing. It's not a word. Might as well be. Uh, every team does that to some degree. I don't think – like sometimes you don't realize you get caught up in events and don't realize, okay, we were in plan A. Things are happening now that put us in plan C, but you're still operating under the assumptions of plan A. And so not not knowing that you have to flip that switch. Okay, we're not going star hunting anymore. We're trying to find – you know, we're trying to stock up on as many like reasonably placed, priced 3 and D wings as we can and we'll beat the market that way. Might be a, a pivot you might make. But if you don't realize and like, oh man, we're going to miss out, and you're then all of a sudden you're burning a hole in your pocket, and you, you know, you give a decent player eight million extra years to come up with something, right? And or, that's or like it, it, you sign six centers. Well, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna put it this way: if your front office and you're preparing for you were preparing for what Giannis's free agency was going to look like and you didn't have a backup plan and your reaction was after he signed going like, okay, what do we do now? You're already done. It's over because you need to have that. And let's be honest. You need to have that. None of the teams that were trying to get him were, didn't have a plan. Well, right? I, we won't know, but, like, but you need to have that stuff. <laughs> you need to, it's like Seth said, you need to kind of game plan for a million different scenarios. And, you know, and it's not always necessarily just the one scenario. It's a combination of scenario 2B and 57C. And this is, this collided and and things like that. But you need to be constantly having that plan where like, okay, what are we going to do if Giannis resigns? And this is stuff they've been planning. You know, hopefully these smart teams have been planning ahead of time and not just, all right, if Giannis resigns, how are we going to pivot or, Whatnot, because now you know you look at the free agent class this year, and it's like uh, it's not as thrilling and exciting, you know, as it was uh, a, a year ago. So now you have to figure that stuff out, and it's all about the the planning ahead. And it's one of those things I used to say this about plays and 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 play calling with players. Like if a player wants to improvise something off the playbook in the fl- on the fly, he has to know the playbook in and out first you know, so that he can then improvise. And I think that's kind of the thing for these good front offices are they have their plan. They have their playbooks. They're ready to roll. And then they're ready to call the audible when they have to. Yeah. There's a, there's a saying in photography that you have to know the rules before you can start to break them. I think it applies to just about anything. Oh, there you go. It applies to anything. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But I apply it to basketball. So mine works. There you go. So it's funny that the analytics guy says, oh, you know, the draft and free agency is the worst. And before we started the show, Mo was like, oh, I've got to talk about the lead up to the trade deadline uh, because, like, again, speed can kill. And so part of like people just don't see this part of the process. But Mo, what happens 
in the month heading into the trade deadline as far as the video room goes? Because you're not only running all of your regular day-to-day stuff for the team that's currently playing basketball games, but you're also putting together stuff for the front office, right? Yeah, trade deadline really in the video room, at least in my experiences, we we rarely had anything that was like urgent at the last second. You know, I think from that point, we've been pretty much covered. And, and most of the time, there wasn't much action in the video room on it during the season in terms of trade deadline. Off season is a different story, free agency and things like that. Whole different deal. But the idea of... You know, teams, again, are planning ahead of time for the trade deadline. You, These guys might be available. These, you know, there are there are teams I know that they, the front office goes on a retreat almost, almost a month before the deadline and start to have meetings and start sharing the intel, you know, because that's the most important thing. You know, I've been talking to so-and-so and they're, they're not so happy with player X. You know, he didn't pan out the way they thought he would or whatnot or, or, or things like that. You know, like we we might be able to get him or whatnot and, and things like that. So you start pulling all your intel together and start formulating a plan. Because the thing about the trade deadline is you're not the only one calling that team, you know, and it's a it's right, it's, right. It's, it's it's a, a pace in which like you you don't have the control of the pace in the sense of it is like you might be like on like oh we're about to make our final offer no we pulled the trigger already you're like damn we're 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 screwed it's 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 the early preparation of all of this that i think is really interesting and and i think again the smart front offices are are, are preparing for trade deadline right now for the one that's coming up in march well i was just about to ask seth you know uh seth at what point were you prepping for the trade deadline? I mean, was this something like as soon as everyone was back from vacation, you know, early September that you're already looking ahead to to people who might potentially be available? Um, I think I mean you're you're maybe looking at that, but I think that um you don't want to you know, get some preconceived notions about a trade before you know what your team is. Mm-hmm. Um like you might know, know going into the season that you probably have some need areas. But you don't really know, so I think I think there's a little bit of a wait and see for the first, you know, for the first couple of weeks of a season. It's also just kind of making sure all your stuff works, <laughs> you know, all of your all of your automated reports and whatnot are, are are operating as they're supposed to. Okay, that's good. Kind of get a get a sense of where our team is, not just like internally, but relative to everyone else. Um, if you're a team that's at like kind of a contending level, you also kind of start one eye looking towards all right what do we do if we play like what do we need if we play philly what do we need if we play boston what do we need if we play brooklyn um are we you know which of those teams from a matchup standpoint do we have the most problems and how can we address that so you you do want to take a little bit of time to to figure out what the questions are as much as as anything else because like these trades aren't happening in a vacuum they're all relative to to you know what you need um and, you know, things can happen that, you know, injuries can happen. Players can, young players can develop in ways that sort of change your time horizon. So you just need to give it a little bit of time for that to start. Um, I, 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 I want to piggyback on, on, on what Mo is saying there is the worst thing that can happen is you forget that the other guy gets a turn. And that's, and that, you know, you make, the, everyone makes these best laid plans. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other thing. And you're making all those step-by-step detailed plans and you're forgetting 
29 other people, really more. I mean, 29 people, 29 other teams, yeah. agents, media entities, like everyone's make, everyone is doing their own things that, that change the environment. Yeah. And then Jeremy Grant signs with the Detroit Pistons, right? Like out of nowhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So now before what? they before they had the ability to sign him, it appeared. Yeah, that's a whole again, whole other story, whole other. We that's we, that's the Tuesday. Yeah, we have show. a whole podcast named after it. <laughs> you know the hot oh, crap. I forgot what I was going to say. Damn it, happens sometimes. <laughs> Run off the rails and then you forget what you're going to say. And now I'm trying to figure. it. I'm stalling to see if it'll come back, and it doesn't seem to be happening. Keep it in the show, Jade. <laughs> kind of pivot. Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay, so. The other thing that you the the tweet that brought up the article, Seth, about siloing the the your your two scouting departments and things like that, and you're right, it, it creates a very adversarial situation. But I do think front offices would be served to almost have one or two guys as like a red team or a, a, a consultant. You know, that you go, they're not involved in the the discussions. They're not involved in, in everything, the lead up to stuff. And, you know, you just run it by them and go, hey, what do you think of this? Like, we're thinking of moving player X for player Y. This is our reasoning. This is, you know, our our thoughts behind it. Like, what's your, your feel? Are we giving too much? Are we not giving up? Are we getting a steal? Are we valuing the wrong things? Like, I almost think there is a value to it. But I think it's just got to be like one dude, almost completely a consultant away from the franchise on a daily basis. But somebody, you know, who's watching games and understands that they're 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 connected to the sport. I think there's something to that the vice idea. president of no. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, I mean, like, yeah, you, you have the media does it. Investigative journalists silo some of their own people to shoot holes in in, in some of these investigative journalists. Uh, projects and, and 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 to make sure it's all covered and 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 they're all nailed, you know. So I, I kind of think teams would benefit more from a consultant in that sense instead of just siloing off the the groups. Yeah, I, I like collaboration. So I, I think that you know, uh, I, I like that idea though, Mo. Maybe having an outside consultant uh, or just this podcast, just guys, uh, you know, if you're listening to they this, they can't afford NBA me, Dave. They can't afford me, Dave. Don't sell me out for just, cheap. Before you make a move, just ask yourself, <laughs> am I going to get roasted on Nerder for making this move? Um, look, one other place, guys, that that speed kills is coaching. 
And we know these coaches that are ready for the big moments, and we know the ones that haven't been. Uh, End-of-game situations tend to really highlight the guys who you know are, are seeing the game in slow motion and the guys who aren't seeing anything because it's all a blur. And, and this season in particular, with the lack of practice time, it, it, it seems like chemistry is being built on the court. I think this is why you see the, some of these big minute load games from, from teams like Brooklyn. They're trying to build chemistry on the fly because <laughs> they don't have practices. How do you guys feel about what we're seeing from some of the newer coaches this year? Because I, I think it's been hit or miss. Um, is, is this the part where I talk about, um, Minnesota's end game on, on Wednesday? I yes. thought that was pretty yes. clear. Um, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean the, yeah. So, you know, they're Minnesota is, is playing short on talent right now and their offense down the stretch turned into a lot of like ugly D'Angelo Russell barfed up jumpers, which, you know, you're at a talent deficit. Sometimes that happens. And I don't, so I don't, I like that's that, that's sort of whatever, I kind of wanted to focus on situation. Uh, Demar Derozan, they're 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 uh, down uh, they're down two. Demar Derozan hits one of two at the free throw line with 17 seconds left. Minnesota has two timeouts left. Somehow, from a situation inbounding down three with two timeouts, they managed to get one shot with three a, a terrible contested three with three seconds left. And that's the only look they get to attempt to close the gap or tie the game. And it's just that's that is to me the essence of the moment overtaking kind of the higher faculties to be able to figure out like if you 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 got to there's no way you should lose that game only getting one look at the basket with two timeouts left and it was it was just viscerally frustrating for me to watch. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get Direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream Direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Mo, how much of this can we put on the, the you know, put at the feet of the coaching staff versus the players? It, it's got to be more on players than coaches, but coaches have to put these guys in a position to succeed. Yeah, you took the words kind of right out of my mouth, Dave. Like, that's... It, it, I get frustrated with coaches that are walking out of games with 
you know, still having timeouts left, you know, at the end of a close game or, or in a situation like such as said, you had two timeouts and you only got one shot out of it. Like you have to be smarter in how you plan things. And it's not just necessarily even Minnesota, like take case in point, the Celtics Kings game from the other night, you know, that went down to the wire, you know, the Celtics are down three, they're going to run a play. And there, I had two problems with the play that Brad Stevens ran. One, he made it too easy for them to foul somebody that's inside a two. You know, the the play, you know, it was their play where they throw it to the other side of the court and then run somebody off of a, a screen to, to set up the three. Well, one, they threw it to Grant Williams, who's shooting 59% from th- uh, the free throw line. So bad free throw shooter. Second, you know, he's within, he's inside the three point line. So the Kings smartly fouled, you know, and that, that was Tyrese Halliburton. You know, making a smart play there and fouling. Now you have your worst free throw shooter. Seems so unlike him. And you, <laughs> yeah, you have your <laughs> you have your worst free throw shooter going to the line now, and now you need to be, you, you know, smart with how you do it. He misses the first free throw. He misses the second free throw on purpose and executes it really well to get the ball to Tatum, and they had a chance to tie it. But when I lo- when I saw the play, I was like, "What is Brad Stevens doing? Like that's just a bad play call at the end of games." And I think sometimes, you know. It happens so quickly. You know, I don't think people understand it, even as a coach. You know, sometimes you're just sitting there and you're just like, oh, crap, you know, or we had a foul to give. I didn't know. Or, or how much information are they getting quickly enough in, in, in terms of making their decision and, and thinking quickly? It's it's hard. In the final two minutes of a game, end of game coaching can be really difficult. And even the, the veteran coaches have a brain fart from time to time. I mean, look, the best coaches really wind up having some of the best players, too. And so it's hard to judge, you know, like, how do you judge the Miami Heat in crunch time when they have Jimmy Butler, who has been one of the best crunch time players in the league? Yeah, you have you. I mean, that in in that specific situation, you have you have so much control as a coach of like time and space because of those two timeouts. Um, the part that, that that frustrates me kind of about this is so much of coaching is, um, you know, as much as I'm kind of quote unquote the numbers guy, I recognize that so much of coaching is a little bit of feel. It's it's the analogy I've used. I think I've used it here before is a lot of in-game decision making is cooking. It's a pinch mm-hmm. of this, a dash of that. Give it a taste. See what we feel like. End of game situations are baking. It's a re- it, like it's it's a recipe. And the biggest way you can avoid yourself getting, you know, caught up in the moment at the end of a game is to have already made the decision. You and, and I think that this this might be something that I don't think I think Quinn Snyder does this. I'm not sure how many other coaches do where they spend a lot of time. Okay, we're on the plane. We're we're shooting the shit. We're playing cards. Okay, we're done playing cards. Okay, quick pop quiz. Uh, 10 seconds left. We're down one, blah, blah, blah. What do you do? And so you, you game these scenarios out and then you, you make those, you talk it out, you make those decisions. And then that comes up in the game. And maybe there's someone on the bench is like, Hey, this is where we run X because we already decided it. And, and it seems like that's really a way that, and, and, you know, it's probably something that we focus on too much because it's visible and really uh, the way, like if you're in one of these situations, you've, you've, probably sort of already lost the game but still you're trying to you know you mm-hmm. margins matter especially in a playoff situation if you can go from like a five to a ten percent chance of stealing a playoff game 
that's how much is that worth? You, so millions. Again, like, that goes yes. back to the preparation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. You, you know, and and sometimes it's also on the players. Like when you look at the Mavs' loss to the Suns, you know, they made the players a no. They were aware that they had a foul to give. So when Chris Paul is sitting there and Maxi Kleba's on him, and he's sitting there waiting for Devin Booker to come off those screens, Kleba needs to foul there. He needs to know and recognize that that's a situation. Right. Foul. Let's get them to have to, you know. And I think they were out of the Suns were out of timeouts at that point. Now let's see them call a play on the fly with even less time. You know, it's it's it, some of that is you know the coaching does their job. But the player doesn't execute it. And some of that's something you got to drill in practice. And it's a back to Seth thing, too, of, you know, gaming these things out and having these discussions and having that. It goes back to the broader point we've had all, all show, right? Planning ahead and, and being prepared. The more plans you make and the more you're prepared for these things, the more you'll be able to handle it when when the time comes. And even if you have to call an audible. So I think that's part of this whole thing in the end of game s- scenarios. And, you know, every team I've been a part of, Tons of practice, just ends of game stuff, you know, get in plays, mm-hmm. need plays. We need a two, we need a three, so on and and all of these things. So, you know, I think there's an important element to this whole thing. It's almost like playing war games. You know, you kind of have to do this to to get the guys ready. Maybe it's more difficult this year with the pandemic, but. Well, well that's a good point. I think that this year, the the bad examples are going to stand out even more because teams aren't able to really work on this stuff. This is another instance of continuity really is going to help a bunch of teams. I mean, Utah has so many guys that have just been there that I feel like that has helped them quite a bit in this early run that they've had. And, and, you know, they look so far ahead of everyone else. Same with the Lakers and the Clippers, you know, that continuity, especially for your major players, I, I think is, is vitally important. Well, guys, um, as we wrap up, we're going to do like we do almost every week. And uh, Mo, what are you looking at for the next one? I don't week? know if I'm looking at one thing in particular, but I'm just going to continue railing against the Euro foul that stops the transition baskets. You know, the, the stops the fast break. The NBA has got to get rid of this. This is becoming. It's un-American. No, forget about it. It's bad for the product. It's not it's fun. Just ba- yeah, it's, it's not just fun. bad for the product. We're eliminating. We're we're taking fast breaks are a fun part of basketball, and we're taking it out of the game with the foul, and then it needs mm-hmm. to go be reviewed to make sure there's a clear path foul. Like you know, and 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 my answer, and it's extreme, and I get it, and and shouldn't shock anybody. I go a little bit nuts here, but man, make it three free throws in the ball. Make it real. Make teams really have to pay. For, for breaking up the transition stuff. because And it's not even about the game. It's about just ruining the product. Go defend. Let's, let's quit mm-hmm. with this, oh, no, we're outnumbered. Foul. Like, no, play freaking defense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, why would you want fewer of the most exciting play on television in basketball? You know, I, I just – it never made sense to me. Seth, what about you? What are you looking at? Uh, since I'm way down the uh, shot quality rabbit hole, uh, the <laughs> second part of my second part of my series of that uh, drop today at the Athletic, I was uh, sort of examining the levers of, of different aspects of shot quality. Um, there's kind of two opposite things going on right now that are kind of 
almost inconsistent and seem really weird. One is the Knicks continue to be the Obi-Wan Kenobi of open shot defense where it doesn't matter who – like it could be it could be Seth Curry, Kyle Korver, and J.J. Redick in his prime lined up on the arc. They're just not making shots with the Knicks with all five guys in the paint. Uh, and I'm just – you know, is, is is this real? Is Are they doing something or are, are they going to get well, slapped Tom, in the face? Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, yeah, he's, okay. he's yelling ice. Yeah, and yeah, other right. things. <laughs> and and because there's fewer fans, you can hear the ice. And it's like, man, his voice <laughs> sounds bad. And that's that's distracting. Maybe that's a theory. I'll yeah. On the flip side, this year is in, you know, since 2013-14, uh, the first year we have uh, the data to, to look at kind of contested, uncontested. This year is by far the highest uh, the league collectively has shot on uncontested threes. And it's the uh, the average every year in year out is 38, 38.5, somewhere in there. This year it's thirty nine six, uh, and it's not like there's better shooters are getting more shots this year. It's the same kind of averagey guys who you'd expect to shoot around thirty eight, thirty eight five is shooting. It may not sound like a big difference, but across the normal variation of seasons, that's enormous. And just wondering what's going on with that, and how that is going to continue to affect like. Uh, teams that have been playing kind of casino style will be the house and win on on small margins kind of defenses over mm-hmm. over the course of the season. So those are maybe that's you know, maybe, maybe maybe I'm way down the the, the nerd rabbit hole, but this is nerder and that's what I'm looking at. Well, that's what it's for. You know, I'll point you in the direction of um, some of the data that we looked at with the extra space on the on the sidelines. And I wonder how much of a difference that's making, not to mention the backdrops. I mean, some of the backdrops that you've seen in, in the arenas are just absolutely fantastic for shooting. Maybe not as good as the bubble was, but still pretty good. Those, especially the teams that are doing the blue tarps. I feel like those are are, are really helping people. Well, for me, it, you know, it's funny that Seth brought up the shot quality because I've been looking at what the heck is happening with the Dallas Mavericks. They are not this bad of a team but they are one of the worst catch and shoot teams in the league. They're generating looks. They just cannot make shots. And as we know, it is a make or miss league and they are just missing so much that this team looks like it has no hope uh, in the postseason. So I'm assuming they're going to, that they were going to regress to the mean. But when you look at the guys that are missing, I think that they just need some shooters. So paying really, really extra close attention to Dallas this week because um, it's getting late already. Add Miami to that. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Oh yeah. Well, it's been late for Miami <laughs> because the East, the top of the East is really tough. Anyway, it's, it's a surprisingly competitive season. And so, uh, some of these, some of these surprises are really catching me off guard. Uh, that's going to do it for this week, folks. We'll be back again next week to do this all over again for Seth, for Mo. I'm Dave. You guys take it easy.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.